Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to join me in the Gospel of Luke. While you're turning there, I just want to kind of point out that we had a couple of big things happen around here this weekend that were kind of an all-hands-on-deck situation. I mean, and it, maybe you were involved in them. Saturday, not only did we finish our upward basketball season, but we also paraded all of those teams up here and had a big celebration for them. And uh, then we're able to share the gospel with all of them. And so grateful for that opportunity that we were able to do that. And if you were in any way involved in that or you were involved in our upward basketball, would you just raise your hand this morning so that we can say good morning to you and thank you for that? Thank you so much. And so I think the last game yesterday was played at 5.30. So that would have meant that the last celebration ended somewhere around 7, 7.30, somewhere in there. It's a long day for those folks. Uh, and then Friday night, before that even got started, we had had our Awana Grand Prix, and that was a pile of kids racing those Pinewood Derby cars and their families, and uh, we were so grateful to have our speaker for tonight in our, in our renewal conference. Rock Collins was here and shared the gospel uh, with everyone, and we just had a good night, uh, and it, but it was a lot. I mean, if you're in there, you, so if you were involved in that, would you raise your hand? That's a lot of us in here. Thank you for that. We're grateful for you doing that. And I should point out today, we have a little bit of a transition going on. Uh, uh, we have a transition in one of our life groups. Jack and Brenda are kind of uh, transitioning in a different place. And, and Brad and Susan kind of teaching today in a, in a new capacity in a life group. Grateful for all of you guys doing that and, and making that smooth. And so, uh, we're excited. There's, there's good things going on. Uh, and I mentioned uh, last week that we were going to be studying the baptism of Jesus. And so we're going to do that today. And as I speak about baptism today, it's kind of appropriate, isn't it, that we have another baptism in our second service. And so I encourage you to come back at the end of our second service and, and watch that during our announcement time. We'll have that as the last part of our service. I believe Pastor Rich is going to be baptizing another one of our, our children. And so we're excited about that. Uh, last week, we talked about John uh, the Baptist. We're in Luke's gospel, but we're talking about John the Baptist right now because Luke has recorded that for us. And, and we mentioned that he was talking about repentance being the name of the game. Everything that he was doing was trying to lead people to repentance in preparation for the coming Messiah who is Jesus Christ. And when we talk about repentance, you remember that what he was saying is you need to turn from something to someone. So turn from what you've been doing and turn to Christ. And so that, that was the entire point of his baptism. And I want to just read for you in, in Luke chapter 3 and verse 16. This won't be our, our main text this morning, but just a refresher point from the text. I do want you to see that what John was saying is there was going to be a, a difference in the baptism of Jesus. And we see that in verse 16. John answered all of them, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I am is coming. And I'm not worthy to untie the strap of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. People were asking John, hey, are you the Messiah that we've been looking for? And I want you to notice something about John. John always put himself in the right place with Jesus Christ. He's never trying to grab the glory of Jesus Christ, and we shouldn't either. John's always understanding 
who he is and his place in God's story. And he's never trying to grab more than he should because he knew he wasn't the Messiah and that the Messiah was going to follow him. And he saw himself as the forerunner of the Messiah. He was the one who was the Messiah's herald. He was the one who was calling attention to everyone saying, there is one coming after me and you need to know that it is, it, it is Christ. And he says about his own baptism here, he says, my baptism is for repentance, but the one that was going to be different would be Jesus Christ's baptism. John was baptizing people in preparation of repentance so that their hearts would be turned toward Christ. Now, even as the early church got started, there seemed to be a little bit of confusion. People were saying, well, why were there two baptisms? What, what was that about? And in Acts, we actually see this. Uh, in Acts uh, chapter 19, uh, it, it says this, while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions, came to Ephesus. He found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? No, they said to him, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Into what were you baptized, he asked them. Into John's baptism, they replied. And Paul said, John baptized with a baptism of repentance, telling people they should believe in the one who would come after him. That is Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, now you might have noticed that John had said in Luke that Jesus was going to come and baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And I think those are two very important words for us as we understand what was happening when Jesus came. Because the new life in Christ had a new meaning of baptism. And John clearly understood that. And I think it's important that we see it. Now as Baptists, you know that we hold baptism obviously very important. We do it as often as we can around here because we believe it's a representation of a life that has been changed and identified with Christ. So uh, for us, when you think about John the Baptist saying Jesus was going to come and he was going to baptize with fire, there's immediately this idea, isn't there, that there's a cleansing aspect of this. When I think about that, I always think about the old hymn that says that God intends for the fire to consume our dross. It's an imagery from the smelter, isn't it? Uh, if, if you take gold and, and you go to get it weighed out and get some cash for it, what they're going to do is they're going to melt it down and to see how pure it is, all of the impurities come to the top and that smelter takes that out. He removes that. And, and so when we think about Jesus coming, there's this idea that he's coming with purification and maybe possibly judgment because it talks about the works of people being burned up that aren't in Christ. So for those of us who are in Christ, it's purifying. For those of us who are not in Christ, there's judgment that comes with that. So if, if we take that, I think that's very important. But when John's baptizing people, it's always preparation for the Messiah. His baptism did not contain one key element for us that we live with every day. That's the Holy Spirit. John was baptizing people saying repent because the Messiah is coming. When Jesus was baptizing us, it said he baptized us with the Holy Spirit. Jesus gave his disciples the gift of the Holy Spirit and what a gift it is because without the Holy Spirit, we don't have the ability to fight temptation or overcome sin we're, we're literally stuck to our own strength and, and that's not powerful enough 
for us to be able to do those things. So when Christ gives us the gift, uh, we get everything. We, We get the counselor that we need in our lives. Aren't you glad that the Holy Spirit counsels us? Aren't you glad? That was weak. Were y'all here Sunday night? Anybody? Nobody, you know? Mm, This crowd, you know? Y'all should have been here Sunday night. You would have known that you got to talk back to the preacher, you know? And I'm going to tell you, if you're coming tonight, you better talk back to the preacher because he's going to want it, I promise you. The counseling of the Holy Spirit in our lives when we don't know what to do is amazing. It's incredible for us. Because the Holy Spirit leads us into truth, confirms what we're reading in the scripture and and, and pierces our hearts with the truth. Aren't you glad that the Holy Spirit is our comforter when we don't know what we should do and and we're literally just, just kind of lost in grief at those points in our lives where it just seems so heavy. I'm so grateful that Jesus Christ gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is constantly seen seen throughout the Gospel of Luke because he's constantly talking about Jesus and the relationship of the Holy Spirit to Jesus. So I want to read our main text today, and it's from verse 21 and verse 22 of chapter 3. Let's read this. When all the people were baptized, Jesus also was baptized. As he was praying, heaven opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in a physical appearance like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Now Matthew and Mark also record the baptism of Jesus, so it's obvious this event is really important in the scripture, isn't it? And and I think it's, it's great because I honestly can't think of another passage in scripture that is so basic when we read it. I mean, it, it, it just seems to be a, a recollection of, of these gospel writers for us of what they had seen maybe in, in some of their eyewitness experience or what they'd heard about. But yet it, it, it can be a little bit confusing because haven't you ever wondered, now, why did Jesus need to be baptized? Right? I mean, it leads to some questions. On the surface, it seems like it's just a well, this is a good thing. Jesus is going to be baptized, but then you start asking your questions. What's this all about? And I think there are two main things that I want you to see and understand from our study this morning that will help us with this passage of scriptures. And these two things are not just found in the baptism of Jesus, but they're actually found in our baptisms. And when we watch a baptism, like we're going to do at the end of our service today, we're going to see these things actually take place as well. The first thing is identification, and the second thing is initiation. And I want you to see those things today. So let's begin with this first word, identification. Why did Jesus need to be baptized? Well, this word really gives us the answer to that large looming question that we often ask about that baptism. He obviously was without sin. We know that Jesus didn't have sin to repent of. Jesus wasn't like us. Uh, he's like us in that he's, he's fully man, but he has something we don't have. He's fully God. So, so the fully God cancels out that sin in our, and, and that we struggle with. So Jesus wasn't repenting of sin. So why did he need to be baptized? Well, there's an aspect of this that, that, that Jesus being perfect, the spotless lamb of God, as he's described in the gospels, uh, it, it's amazing to see this because Jesus was identifying with us. Now, I want you to listen to how Matthew records the same event. And it's from Matthew chapter three. Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. But John tried to stop him saying, I I need to be baptized by you. And yet you come to me. Jesus answered him, allow it for 
now. Because this is the way for us to fulfill all righteousness. And John allowed him to be baptized. Now, remember John rightfully knows his place. I don't need to be the guy baptizing you. This is all out of order. Uh, This is wrong. I, I, I have this hesitation, John's saying. There's some trepidation because he understands that he's not worthy to do it. I mean, who would be worthy to baptize Jesus? No one. And yet, there's something that stands right in front of us that Jesus says, John, you need to let this happen. This is important for us. And Jesus said it was to fulfill all righteousness. He says it's to fulfill all righteousness. Now, Jesus is never concerned about fulfilling some of the righteousness of God. He's always concerned about doing everything the Father says for him to do and doing it the right way at the right time and doing it completely. And I think that's a very, very important point for us to see. This was his purpose and mission actually for uh, his being the Messiah to come and complete the law for us. He does everything perfectly for the righteousness of God. See, the problem with the Old Testament law is that it didn't redeem mankind. It pointed out our faults. In fact, the scripture says that God used it like a tutor in our lives. It taught us something. When you read the the law, the law was given so we'd know something about God and we'd actually know something about ourselves. What we see about God is, and we see it on display in, in the life of Christ, is we see perfection and we see God's standard. And what we see about ourselves is how we never meet that. I mean, all you have to do is start reading the Old Testament And it's very clear that you don't keep all these things, right? I mean, have you ever lied? Guilty, done. Yep. have, Have you ever taken something that wasn't yours? Have you ever profaned the Sabbath? I mean, you go through these things and you start to see, wow, I don't measure up. I'm not nearly as good as I thought I was. But when we read the Bible, we quickly see God's majesty and his glory on display because his righteousness is on display. And I think many people today look at Jesus as kind of this mythical figure who came to make everything easy for us and they love Jesus, but they incorrectly believe that this gets them off the hook, so to speak. It's like, man, Jesus is so cool and I'm so glad I don't have to worry about the law anymore. Well, that's not the way it is. If we think that we can love Jesus but live however we want to, the opposite's actually true. Because we love Christ, we can live now in a holy way that allows us to see the righteousness of God produced in our lives. So if we continue with this thought, we begin to understand Jesus didn't need to be baptized in the same way I need to be baptized, but there is something that he identified with us. He needed to be baptized to obey the Lord. So do you. So when Jesus fulfills all righteousness, he is identifying with us because we needed to be baptized. So he does it so that he obeys the Lord because that's what Jesus always does. He always obeys the Lord on time, in completion, never lacking anything. So in every way, if you think about it, Jesus identified with us. He knew our weaknesses and he overcame them in every way. In every way, he fulfilled all of the law for us. This makes him the perfect sacrifice for us. If he had not perfectly kept all of God's law and done everything to please God, then he can't be our sacrifice. It doesn't work. It makes it ineffective. I think this is important for us to understand this morning. We're not serving a God who's sitting far away from us, totally unconcerned about us. We're serving a God 
who understands what it's like to be us. That's the beauty of, of following Christ. He took on flesh. So, so when you think about this, uh, are you nervous this morning? Jesus experienced nervousness. Do you remember when he was in the garden? Father, if there's any other way for this to take place without me going to the cross, I wish you'd let it be. He started with the grief that he was feeling and the pressure that he was feeling. He started sweating drops of blood. He knows what it's, have you done that? He knows what it's like to feel that pressure. And he knows what it's like to stand up and obey the Lord anyway. He knows all those things. He knows what it's like to be abandoned and, and lonely. Where were all of his disciples at the cross? All those guys that said, we're gonna go with you wherever you go. We'll leave everything. We're with you. There were some ladies and John the apostle. That's it. The rest of them had abandoned him. At his darkest hour when he needed his friends the most to be there praying for him. Have you ever felt that way? He's felt that way. He knows what it's like to be us. And I think that's important for us to see this morning. As Jesus was baptized, he identifies with us. But there's a second word there. It's the word initiation. For 30 years, Jesus had been living in and around the area of Nazareth. He's, he's in and around Galilee. And up until this point, he's, he's kind of known as the carpenter's kid, you know? And we can assume perhaps that that's what he was doing is maybe learning a trade and, and working in, in that area uh, of, of expertise. There's not a lot about that in the scriptures. And, and I think that's important for us to notice. Like, well, why isn't that? Because it's not important. Do you know that if God thought it was important, it would be in the Bible, right? So if you're wondering like, why didn't God tell me that? Because it's not important. That's important for us to remember. But what happens here is incredible. On the day that he's baptized, there's a change. I think up until this point, Jesus is living what you might say is a normal life of a young man, but something happened that changed dramatically. First thing that we see at his baptism is that there is a physical representation where we can sense with our senses all three persons of the Trinity. That's amazing. Have you thought about that? There's God the Father speaking, God the Son physically present and the Holy Spirit coming and resting in the form of a dove. And so when you think about that, it's not just that the Trinity's of one mind, they were all together, all manifest the same time. Now this is not a normal occurrence for us in scripture, is it? We see it in Genesis 1:27 when it says, let us make man in our image. Well, who's the our? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But right here, we see it. The Holy Spirit descending on Jesus like a dove, the Father speaking from heaven. And when the Holy Spirit descends, it initiated the miraculous ministry and power that Jesus was going to have. Remember that I told you Luke is very concerned about this. Jesus and the Holy Spirit being tied together. He's showing us that without the Holy Spirit, there's no power. Just for a second, listen to Luke chapter four, verse one. After Jesus' baptism, he left the Jordan full of the Holy Spirit and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. Where was he going? Into the temptation. He's led by the Spirit into the wilderness in temptation. Then in verse 14 of the same chapter, then Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit and news spread about him throughout the entire vicinity. What starts taking place? Miracle upon miracle upon miracle. The power of the Holy Spirit is important. See, Jesus was always moving and working 
in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's never on his own. And he's always saying this. I can't do anything on my own. I, I, I'm not a, 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 a rogue agent out here working apart from the Father. I don't work apart from the Spirit. I'm under the power of the Spirit, obeying the Father at all times. Now, if Jesus needs the Holy Spirit, do you think you do? If Jesus needed the power of the Holy Spirit, you have to have the power of the Holy Spirit. For us to go through our lives without the power of the Holy Spirit, it's futile. No way. We can't do what we need to do. That's why the book of Ephesians says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so we constantly are going back and asking the Lord to fill us because we don't want to be self-reliant on anything that we do. When we're self-reliant, there is no power. I was thinking about that this week. And I wondered how many times over the last 20 or so years that I've had the opportunity to serve churches that I've done things where I failed to realize I wasn't filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, I, I just, hey, we need to do something. Let's put it on the calendar and let's go do it. You ever do that? You ever just kind of assume all systems are go? I, it's just like kind of status quo here. Well, status quo gets status quo. But when the Holy Spirit comes in our lives and gives us power and we rely on the power of the Holy Spirit, there's a change that takes place. See, this just isn't the Holy Spirit uh, coming and initiating the ministry. Jesus gets power. But also there's a second thing. God the Father spoke at the baptism of Jesus and said, you are my beloved son. In you, I am well pleased. Well, that's interesting. When God the Father spoke, Martin Luther, the great reformer, said this about that. And I love this. He, he's talking about this passage and he says, the Father's words for us are described in this way. It was the highest preacher preaching, preaching from the highest pulpit, preaching the highest sermon. God the Father speaking was the highest preacher. You've listened to many sermons, some of which I'm sure were from some incredible preachers gifted by God. They were eloquent, but none of them could touch the wonderful way in which God the Father preached this sermon. Shortest sermon ever, right? This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Let's go get lunch. What more is there to say? God the Father speaking this it's a wonderful thing because he's delivering his own sermon. When God says something to us, we, we stop and listen. And I mean, no harm to anyone that practices any other religion, but listen to this. When God the Father points you to Jesus Christ, you better pay attention. God the Father didn't say, hey, this other prophet over here, this is who I'm very well pleased in. He said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. When God speaks, we should live in, we should listen. There's no one who could deliver a message like this. Uh, if we miss that, we're missing the power in the message. He's telling us his children, don't miss Jesus Christ. No one else is called the son, only Jesus. And no one else has been given God's blessing to come and save us from our sins. It's incredible for us to think about. So it's the highest preacher. Secondly, it's the highest pulpit. Could there be any other place to preach a sermon that would be better than preaching from the throne room of heaven? I've had the opportunity a few times to preach in some very unique places, some pulpits that were honored. I mean, I love preaching here every week. It's, it's an incredible thing to get to do. I've been able to preach in some churches that I grew up in and, and have had great influence over my life. I've, I've been able to preach at, at a prison system 
that was one of my favorite places to preach because the people that were there were so hungry for the word of God. You walked in and opened the word and, and, and they came with expectation because that hour, hour and a half you were going to be there meant something. But none of those pulpits compare to the throne room of heaven where when God speaks, the angels immediately rush off so that God's will is done perfectly as Jesus tells us in the Lord's prayer. May your will be done perfectly on earth as it is in heaven. He, he understands that, that preaching from there, there is no greater pulpit than that. And, and finally, Luther said that it's the greatest sermon. God didn't need a commentary to help him come up with this. He didn't need a, a pithy video behind him to kind of grab everybody's attention. He just simply said, this is my son, in you I, in you I am well pleased. Could there be any greater sermon? You may look at this passage and you may now see this baptism and, and think that that is the whole thing, but that's missing the message. See, God wasn't ever trying to hide himself from us. I think this is a, a misnomer that we all think. A lot of people think that we have to go on a quest to find this hidden God somewhere. He's here and he's not silent. He's spoken through Jesus and through his word. It's here. God's not hiding from us. God's not trying to hide salvation from us. He wants you to know him and he wants to know you intimately. And so God clearly points all of this out. In one place, the Trinity comes and they speak about Jesus and his favor rests on Jesus. And God does this so we can know Christ. He's not silent about it. On the contrary, he's spoken to us through Christ. We see Christ, we see God. And through him, we're able to discern all things about God that we need to know. When we see Christ, we know what it's like to be human without fault. When we see Christ, we know what it's like to love those who persecute us. When we see Christ, we know what it's like to give ourselves away. We know what it's like to spend our lives serving. We, we get to see all of it because God held nothing back from us. I don't know if anyone's ever told you this, but if they haven't, I want you to hear it this morning. You have been perfectly loved by God. The God of this universe has perfectly loved you. It's all right here in front of you. He, he's given his son to pay the penalty for your sin. Jesus died on the cross in your place, in my place, so that we wouldn't have to. He, he's resurrected him from the dead so that he now sits at the right hand of the Father. He's overcome the grave so that we can as well. We don't have to be separated from God, living under his judgment. We can be cleansed this morning and be free from the guilt and the shame that is ours. You can do it if you would do exactly what John the Baptist has been saying. Repent. Turn to Jesus this morning. Give your life to Christ this morning. What's keeping you from doing it? What would keep you from being perfectly loved by God the Father in a relationship with him? There's no reason for you not to do it. Are you ashamed of your past? Well, Jesus took your shame, the scripture says, and bore that reproach to the cross. Are you worried and you're not good enough? You're not, but Jesus is. Are you worried you won't measure up? You can't. But Jesus did. You see, Jesus has come and died in our place and he's given us everything we need to have a relationship with God the Father. And to understand that means that we give our lives to Christ, repenting of our sins, believing that Jesus rose from the dead. And I just wanna encourage you today, if you've never given your life to Christ, do not leave here today without making it right. 
Trust Christ today for salvation. He's all you need. Trust him today. And for those of us who are already in Christ, allow me a moment to go back to those two words that we just looked at because the same words that we talked about at Jesus' baptism as identification and initiation are actually true for us when we're baptized. If we could for a moment and talk about the first thing about identification, we're not saved because we're baptized. I was uh, showing somebody the baptistry not long ago and uh, I had a kid with me up there who was just kind of tagging along. And uh, she asked me, she said, um, pastor, is it holy water? And I said, no, it's just Nashville water actually. Nothing holy about it. Uh, we don't pray over it, we don't bless it because the water in and of itself doesn't affect the change on your life. The change happens when you give your life to Christ. But what's happening is symbolically we're identifying with Christ in several things. First, we're identifying with our testimony. To be baptized is to give testimony to the work of salvation that's already taken place in your life. That's why we do this. When we're baptized, we're saying before all of our church, all of our friends that we might invite or anyone else that might be here, there's a difference that has been made in our lives where we've given our life to Christ, been saved from our sins, and we want everyone to know it. Now, that may not seem like much, but can I tell you around the world, it means a lot. There are places for you to be baptized in this world, it actually costs you something. When you're baptized here, we clap for you. A lot of times when you're baptized around the world, they have to do it in secret because to do so means that your house is gonna be burned the next day. They have to just get the believers and, and, and they do it as quickly as they can. It, it costs them something. It's a testimony. They know that they're putting a target on their back to do that. When we identify with Christ, we're doing something that's incredible. It, it, it's a testimony and it's fulfilling something Jesus told us to do. He said, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my father that's in heaven. So we identify with him. Secondly, we identify with his death. It's a picture, isn't it? We say that you're baptized into his death and raised to walk in the likeness of his life or raised to walk in new life. What are we talking about here? Well, the apostle Paul talks about when we come to Christ, all the old things pass away and everything becomes new. And you say, all the old things, all the old things. All that stuff you used to be known by, you get a new name because you're a new person. Do you remember the old song, there's a new name written down in glory and it's mine, I'm glad it's mine, right? Aren't you glad you get to be a new person? So what we're saying is all the old stuff has passed away and the new has come. And I think that's very important that you see that. And, and that's why we don't sprinkle and that's why we don't pour because it, it's not the same thing as being buried under the water and being raised. And people ask me, why don't you do that? Well, I want you to see that it means something different. Again, listen to Matthew's gospel in chapter three and verse 16, because the New Testament gives us some clues about this. When Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water. Why did Jesus need to come up out of the water if he was being sprinkled? I don't think that he was. And it said he saw the spirit of God descend on him like a dove coming down. Uh, similarly, in the book of Acts, when Philip is with the Ethiopian eunuch and he baptized him, in Acts chapter eight and verse 38, it says, he ordered the chariot to stop and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water. Why? 
so that he could baptize in the manner of his death and raise him in the walk, uh, to walk in life. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch didn't see him any longer, but he went on his way. Now, you may have been sprinkled as a child in your faith tradition, but we hold that to be somewhat a little bit different. In just a couple of weeks, we'll have what will probably be in the second service, the largest baby dedication we've ever presided over here at Judson Baptist Church because a Sunday school class said, hey, we wanna dedicate our children together on the same day. That's kinda cool, never done that. I like kinda doing it as, as we normally do it, kinda one off, but this is gonna be special, isn't it? To be able to see that. And so maybe you were sprinkled in that way or, or maybe you were poured upon, but we think the picture is important and we also think the order of our baptism is important for us to identify with. Think about it like this. You know that the Great Commission says this, but I'll read it for you anyway. Matthew 28 says, go and make disciples of all nations. That's the first thing. Then what do you do? Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we see it as after salvation. It's an after salvation thing. And that's, an, in, in fact, how we got our name as Baptists. They used to call us Anabaptists, the rebaptizers. Why? Because they had all been sprinkled. But one day they were reading the scripture and said, hey, we think that the order is a little off here. We think that we need to be baptized as a picture to identify with the Lord. So when you see a baptism here, it's symbolic of someone who's been saved, who's testifying to you that they are identifying with Christ, raised to walk in new life. But this second word is also interesting, this idea of initiation. When Christ was baptized, it was the initiation of his ministry. And truthfully, for some of us, the same thing happens. When we're baptized, it really is an initiation into obedience because it's the first step of obedience we often talk about. Give your life to Christ and be baptized. Uh, it, it, for many of us, it was the first place that we started serving Christ because after we were saved, our obedience came forth in our baptism. And our obedience always sets up sets us up to serve the Lord with gladness, doesn't it? When we see someone baptized, it's a reminder to us to obey the Lord. It's a reminder to us to serve the Lord. And so it's an initiation. Now, I realize this morning, maybe you've been a Christian for a long time. I get it. And you say, well, I know that I'm saved. That's good. We're not talking about being saved right now. We're talking about being baptized. That's different, isn't it? But have you ever been baptized have you, have you followed the Lord in baptism? And what I mean by that is on the right side of your salvation. I don't mean where you baptized when you didn't have a choice in the matter, where your parents took you. That's, that's important day in your life when you're sprinkled or you're poured upon. It's important for your family and your faith tradition and whatnot. But to obey the Lord, have you ever been baptized? You know, one of the great things about having a baptism in the second service is that the water is already warm. If you've never been baptized, why not? Why would you wait any longer? I wanna, I wanna encourage you today to trust the Lord in salvation if you're not a believer, but if you're a believer today, I, I wanna ask you this. Have you been obedient to the Lord in baptism? If you haven't, why not? If you know that you're saved, this is a step of obedience in following Christ. Jesus did something that was amazing. He did it to fulfill all righteousness, meaning that even the little things matter to God the Father. Even the little things. If it mattered for Jesus, it matters for me. It matters for you. And it's an amazing thing. When he did that, 
God the Father said, this is my son, and you, I'm well pleased. Don't you love it when God smiles at us? Don't you love it when the Lord looks on us and just says, ah, man, you got it right today. That's good. That's a good thing that you got it right today. I love that. Thanks for obeying me today. Thanks for following my word today. That's awesome. That pleases me. God says, I'm pleased in these things. So for us, if we've never given our lives to Christ or we've never been baptized after salvation, why wouldn't we do it today and please God the Father? I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads and I'm gonna ask you to consider what is your next step in obedience. Maybe for you today, it's to give your life to Christ. Could be for you today to step out and say, you know, I've, I've been saved for a long time, but I need to follow the Lord in baptism. Or maybe you've done those things, but the Lord's been dealing with you about a step of obedience and you need to follow the Lord and obey. Whatever it is, why wouldn't we just say to the Lord this morning, whatever you say, I'll do and I'll follow. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time in our lives. We thank you for the opportunity we have to come before you and Lord, our prayer is that someone would be saved today. Father, that someone who is saved would choose to be baptized, to follow you in obedience. And that for the rest of us, Lord, that as you reveal our next step of obedience, we could do it and know that we have pleased you today. Jesus, thank you for doing all the little things right. Thank you for showing us. And, and Holy Spirit, thank you for the reminder today that we need your power. I pray for our church and for us that you would fill us with your power. Help us to be strong in the spirit of the Lord today. In Jesus' name we pray.